0: KRCL, Salt Lake City. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome
1: to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with me tonight. Coming up, we're going to talk about the great chili affair with our friends from the road home. Also, we've got Skywatcher Leo T with an update on that Artemis 1 launch this morning that got scrubbed. And then Salt Lake City Councilwoman for District 1, Victoria petro Eshler, I had a chance to speak with her and record a conversation about back-to-school Inland Port, trains on the west side, and so much more. So stick around for that. And then we're gonna mash up our Magnify Utah series with Music Meets Activism with Representative Karen Kwan on the Chinese community, a pattern of growth and tradition, and Claudia Loiza of Magnify Utah at the Utah Division of Multicultural Affairs. So stick around for all that, folks, if you would. First, let's do some rallies and resources. If you go to krcl.org, click on Community Affairs, and you will find the rallies and resources page. Mondays in the Park is going on tonight. That's at Liberty Park, presented by Living Traditions, Liberty Park Neighbors, and the Salt Lake City Arts Council. And let's see, what is tonight? Hala'u Kupono, Kamalani, and Sabor Tropical dance and music. Go and check it out if you're looking for something to do as the sun starts to set here in Utah. Another item from Rallies and Resources. Let's go back to krcl.org with me if you'd be so kind and click on community affairs to find that rallies and resources list tomorrow at liberty park as well where's liberty park folks if you're new to the area it's between fifth and seventh east and ninth and Thirteenth south in downtown salt lake it's free bike registration from five to seven tomorrow register your bike it helps the police return it if it gets lost or stolen And they've also got a link that we've placed in Rallies and Resources. If you can't make it, you can also register your bike online. On Wednesday, it's International Overdose Awareness Day at the Utah State Capitol, 7 to 9 p.m. on the South Steps at the Capitol. It's by Utah Naloxone, Overdose Awareness, Utah and USARA, Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. They invite you to join them to remember those that we've lost, raise awareness, and be part of creating positive change each year on International Overdose Awareness Day. They recognize all of this on a global scale and hundreds will gather at the state capitol to remember loved ones lost to overdose. Many folks that will be there have lost loved ones so you will not be alone but we choose to remember they say that for those still here and struggling there's always hope for recovery. Coming up this weekend Labor Day weekend quite a few festivals going on Polynesian Days at Electric Park in Lehigh Honey Days, a Salt Lake City local music and art festival at the Commonwealth Room and the Urban Arts Festival downtown at the Gateway. And then don't forget, keep it on your calendar. September 9th, it's KRCL's very own 909 day block party and record sale. Joining me now from the road home to talk about the 36th annual Great Chile Affair on the 31st of this month, which is Wednesday, we have Rachel Anderson. Hi, how you doing? Hello, good. How are you? I'm so glad you could make it down here today and give a shout out to folks and remind folks what, after 36 years, the annual Great Chile cook- Cook-Off and Affair accomplishes in our community. Tell us about this event.
2: Yeah, so we're super excited you know, to be back in person after a bit of a hiatus due to COVID. And so we'll be back at the Salt Palace this Wednesday at 5.30, and this is a really great family-friendly event for people to come. There'll be a silent auction, they'll be able to taste all sorts of amazing chili from community chefs and restaurants, and then all proceeds go directly towards helping people overcome homelessness. And that's
1: with The Road Home. Remind folks of the mission and how long The Road Home's been doing this.
2: Yeah, so The Road Home's mission is to help people step out of homelessness and back into the community. And we've been around since 1923, actually. So we're coming up on our 100-year anniversary.
1: And here we are in the dog days of summer. And I was just looking at the news headlines before coming on. And there's a heat dome expected over Utah over Labor Day weekend. And And our unsheltered members of our community need need assistance this time of year. Well, every time of year, but it's a unique challenge when it's this hot.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's been, you know, especially difficult as the summers have continued to become seemingly become warmer year after year. And then, you know, we're just trying to accommodate as many people as we can in our facilities. And one of our biggest goals and proven best practice is to get people back into housing which, you know, may seem very obvious and straightforward, but it's really difficult to address a lot of the other maybe underlying reasons or issues um, you may be experiencing without first having a home. And so, yeah, we've just been, you know, working hard. We're so lucky to have a lot of community support and a lot of we've got cool zones around Salt Lake where, you know, people are able to go cool off and get some water and things that are, you know, take advantage of yeah so the great chili affair why don't you tell folks what they can expect yeah so we're super excited we'll be having um a variety like i said of restaurants we've got center plate catering grand america hotel intermountain healthcare kimmy's chop and oyster house tucano's brazilian salt lake institute for culinary education and westgate park city as our chefs this year
1: so So, a lot of chili that folks can dive into
2: yeah you know it might be a little bit hot but we're gearing up for (laughs) fall and it's just going to be again a lot of really fun times and there'll be a supervised children's area as well as dj richie t who's going to be doing our entertainment dj richie t i love it so the grand uh, the great chili affair coming up
1: on wednesday and tickets are still available i understand
2: yes they are still available you can um, get them on our website which is just www.theroadhome.org and yeah we still have tickets and tables
1: one of the things i want to talk about is how to make a great chili and i don't know if you have a, a favorite twist that you put on your chili plus the great chili controversy meat or no meat
2: Ooh. okay well so personally i i like meat in my chili. Uh-huh. Um, It is exciting. We've got some, I believe, vegan options this year. And that's always super fun to try and see, you know, is it as good as what I think when I think of a classic chili. And then a little twist that I don't necessarily make, but that I've had before uh-huh. is adding a little bit of chocolate or cocoa chocolate. powder. So like
1: it's a little more of a mole chili. Yeah, right?
2: exactly. So you get some of those really delicious chocolate flavors, you know, nothing too overwhelming. um, But I think it's just got to be cooked with love.
1: There you go. And you can get to sample all of this on Wednesday. And where is it again?
2: Yeah, it's at the Salt Palace in Hall 1. And you can get tickets. uh, They're $42 a piece. $42
1: a piece. All right, we'll put a link in tonight's show notes, folks. And there are categories that you get to,
2: you know, weigh in on spiciest, most original people's choice. And again, the notable chefs. Yep, we've got Center Play Catering, Grand America, Intermountain Healthcare, Kimmy's Chop and Oyster House, Tucano's Brazilian, Slice, and Westgate Park City.
1: And so after two years of hosting this event virtually due to COVID, this year's cook-off back and in person. Are you looking forward to anything in particular?
2: I'm just excited to see a bunch of people you know that yeah. I haven't seen in a while, and it's always really great to get together and not only rally around in a really awesome community you know, effort, but just to see people and catch up. Great. Check tonight's show notes, folks, for a link and all the details. It's the Great Salt Lake Chili Affair in
1: support of the mission of the road home, 530 to 830 on Wednesday. Rachel, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And now here's Skywatcher Leo T with an update on what happened with NASA today.
3: Artemis 1 update, Skywatcher Leo T. Four hours of fueling had been underway as the new moon rocket was getting ready for a 6.33 Mountain Time scheduled launch from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. A 40-minute hold was put in place as engineers worked with Engine 3 where the high-accuracy temperature they were looking for Uh, was not happening and now launch director charlie blackwell thompson has called a scrub after an engine bleed that could not be remedied as of yet and will continue to work on the situation the earliest opportunity to launch will be september 2nd skywatcher leo t will keep you updated here That launch of the Artemis One rocket will be the first test of the agency's new space launch system moon rocket, an uncrewed Orion capsule. Orion spacecraft uh, on an approximately 42-day mission during which it will orbit the moon before returning to Earth. Last time a rocket this powerful thundered off the launch pad in 1973 when a Saturn V moon rocket carried Skylab into orbit marking the end of the Apollo era after launching all of the crude moon rockets that landed on the moon. Stay tuned as we'll keep you updated on Skywatcher Leo T. this week. Look up, look around, and get lost in space.
1: Thank you, Leo, for that update. He'll be back on Friday where Many Cultures One Sky is the uh, contribution he makes during Punk Rock Farmer Friday. So be sure to tune in on Friday for that. Earlier today, Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall, Police Chief Mike Brown, City Councilwoman Victoria Petro-Eschler and Bachman Elementary Principal Matthew Teeter announced the Capital City's new Safe Passage Initiative. It's about going back to school, and they've identified three schools, Jackson Elementary, Bachman Elementary, and Horizonte Training and Instruction Center, where they will be applying more uh, car, foot, and bike patrols as students head back to school. And to find out more, I asked the City Councilwoman to come in and join me for a conversation just a few hours ago, and let's get to that conversation. Tomorrow is Back to School in the Salt Lake City School District, and joining me to talk about that is the city councilwoman for District 1, Victoria Petro-Eschler. Hi, how are you?
4: I'm doing well, thanks.
1: Earlier today, I went to Bachman Elementary, and the mayor and the police chief and you were there along with the principal of the school touting a new safe passage initiative that's going to go on for the first couple of weeks. What's been identified as the issue or is this more one of proactive
4: attention to the area as kids go back to school tomorrow? Yeah, I think it is supposed to be proactive. We are a lot of families in my neighborhood are feeling some stress trying to keep up with the things that are going on around us. And so in order to allay any fears that might be arising, we're going to make sure that we proactively show them that their safety and their kids' safety is important to us and make sure that there are police people there to uh, reinforce that feeling of safety.
1: along the major walking routes, including the Jordan River Parkway, um, where there have been some uh, camps for unsheltered members of our community. And so as kids head back to school, shining a light on that, not to mention we've seen such a uptick in um, fatal traffic accidents with pedestrians in the city.
4: Yes. So we just passed the... Uh- the 20 mile per hour uh, citywide speed limit, and that's intended to change behavior and make sure that people are driving cautiously. But of course, behavior takes a while to change, so we're still being hyper vigilant about that. Um, I am personally loath to ever equate homelessness with criminality, uh, but I am a mother of three young people. And I will say that the homelessness crisis, particularly along the river, adds an element of unpredictability to the neighborhood. So that as a parent, it's a little difficult to know what places are safe, where can my kids be. And so while it's not a reaction to homelessness, a lot of the families in our neighborhood feel the uncertainty and the stress that comes from being on the front lines of the crisis. And so this is meant to let everyone know that the city is here as a resource to you, and that if you're feeling unsafe, we want to acknowledge that and meet you where you are.
1: During this press conference, Mayor Aaron Mendenhall and Police Chief Mike Brown both talked about those issues. I'm going to drop in those conversations right here.
5: It's an exciting time of year for students and parents. The day before school starts for the Salt Lake City School District. We're here at Backman Elementary this morning to announce a new safety initiative called Safe Passage. Simply put, students and their parents should not have to worry about the student safety getting to and from school from their homes. That's why I've asked our police department to partner with the Salt Lake City School District in three defined areas in the city. There will be enhancing patrols for children's safety as we get back to school over the next couple of weeks. The three areas are here at Backman, also at Jackson Elementary, and at Horizonte Instruction and Training Center. This response is not actually an indication of a rise in crime in these areas. It's just a proactive effort that we're taking as a city to try to ensure that our children are safe as they come to and from school. At a time when Crime rates have actually skyrocketed in many cities around the country. Here in Salt Lake City, we are fortunate that crime is down nearly 9% citywide year to date. And where we are right now here in District 1, crime is down more than 16% year to date. Our work though is never done. There is no acceptable amount of crime in this city. We're, We're going to continue to work diligently to ensure the safety of all of our residents and I have faith that our Salt Lake City Police Department is up to the task. I'm going to turn it over to Chief Brown to discuss more of the operational details about it. Following Chief Brown, you'll hear from Councilmember for District 1, Victoria Petro-Eschler, and finally, Backman Elementary School Principal, Matthew Teeter, and then we'll be happy to take some questions afterward. Chief Brown.
6: Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for being here. In less than 24 hours, Our city streets will once again be filled with kids, parents, school buses as they all head back to school. What an exciting time. It can also be a little unnerving for parents um, and a little scary for the students. As a parent myself, I want to make sure that my kids get to school without any problems. This summer, the Salt Lake City Police Department has been working hard to identify some focus areas, like the mayor was talking about, to ensure community safety. We've been working hard with the city and the county to provide outreach, services, and advocacy to people who don't have permanent shelters. We also have been working with community members to respond to concerns about public safety. Some of those concerns have been right along our Jordan River Trail here. Helping to ensure the safety of our children is the number one priority for our police officers. This summer, we have continued to work with with building relationships with children and young adults. Thanks to a generous uh, donation and support of the Police Foundation, we have hosted many open gyms just down the street for the youth and young adults to play basketball Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Members of our bike squad, some of them right here, have participated in an afternoon walk along Jordan River Trail with the children to the Pioneer Precinct where they had treats and were greeted by officers. Now as we get set for back to school tomorrow, We want to make sure our children have all the public safety tools they need to get to and from school safely. That is why we're kicking off Safe Passage Initiative. Working with our school resource officers, we have identified three schools that will have an increased presence of officers walking, biking, and patrolling the paths that students take to get to school. These three schools are, like the Mayor mentioned, Jackson Elementary, right here at Backman, and Horizonte School on South Main. This initiative will include highly visible, marked patrol officers who will saturate these areas to serve serve as a deterrent for any crime. But more importantly, this is our chance to welcome children to school and kick off another great school year. This weekend, we had the opportunity to celebrate our our back to school with 30 kids as part of our Police Pay It Forward program. And I know some of the students were uh, from Backman Elementary, so I know there's at least 30 young people that have new clothes, shoes, backpacks, and school supplies that are eager and excited to come to school. As part of this initiative, we are also going to be educating and reminding drivers about safe driving habits. I cannot stress the, import, I cannot stress the importance of safe driving while going through our, our neighborhoods. Our neighborhood speed limits are 20 miles an hour, so please slow down. It really is going to take the entire community to keep our children safe. For students walking back to school, it is so important to look both ways before you cross the street. Watch for cars that are coming out onto the street through different driveways. Always know your surroundings, and if you see something, say something. If something happens, make sure you tell a teacher, a parent, or one of our officers. Together, we are going to help make this the best school year yet. On behalf of everyone at the Salt Lake City Police Department, we hope everyone has a safe, happy and healthy school year. Thank you.
1: Police Chief Mike Brown and Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall from a press conference earlier today out front of Bachman Elementary, and we're talking about back to school with City Councilwoman Victoria Petro-Eschler. And I wanted to ask you just a bit, as a City Council person, and looking at these issues on the west side, I also noticed something recently about trains yet again, and there is a study going on. What can you tell me about that? The trains that um, are have grown from one mile long to three miles long and and can block
4: east-west traffic, especially on the west side. Yeah, and this is a perennial issue. Um, The trains, uh, often some of the representatives from the company, like to remind us that they were here before the founding of the country, and so negotiations can be difficult. However, we're finding, particularly um, Danny uh, Brewer from the train union and some other people uh, from Union Pacific, from the various rail lines, are really cognizant that, not only is our city comfort and way of conducting life impacted, but their ability to safely conduct their operations is impacted. And so the irony is that as long as we have fought the port, we actually are seeing the inland port. Yes, <laughs> we're actually going to be able to see relief from this problem because of developments through the port. We uh, anticipate that the switching station that currently is located at 1,000 west and just south of North Temple, about 100 south, will be moved further west. Patriot Rail is the short line operator, and they'll be taking it there. And so while Union Pacific will still be bringing the long trains through town and, and that, that route is still there, um, the switching, that back and forth, this the stopping on 8, 9, and 1,000 uh, 1, west that happens for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes at a time, that will be ameliorated. About 90% of the train traffic should be gone. So things are still in negotiations. Never say, never count on it until it's done. But we do anticipate that we'll see relief from this as early as the end of 2023. Wow. Well, the Salt Lake Trib
1: had a story recently about Uh, train conversations in the capital city i'll drop that into the show notes tonight folks but there's a three-year study i guess it's being commissioned perhaps even including or considering and studying trenching which would put them below ground and make uh, surface level traffic
3: uh,
1: unimpeded
4: so within the council we affectionately call this the dugan ditch our current council chair dan dugan is the biggest advocate for this concept which would um create essentially a box that would allow the train, particularly that route that goes southbound along 600 west, to go underground. And then we can recapture some city territory, create greenways, create roadways that would go over top, even potentially housing. Um, We know that this this would be a huge undertaking. It would be akin to the big dig that Boston undertook, But uh, I think we have a council and a city leadership right now that is willing to invest in hard things and unlikely things if it means that what our kids inherit is better. Well, you walked into my studio today, so I got lots of questions. (laughs) And you mentioned the P
1: word, port, inland port. Yes. What is coming up over these next three months and headed into the next legislative session that you'd like to put on people's radar about these negotiations? We've talked a lot on this show with... Um, folks from the city and city council and the mayor about how air pollution in particularly disproportionately impacts the west side of the city. That's where industry is concentrated. Uh, We are going to have this port
4: built out. So what do you want to share? So um, as I I hope a lot of people know, the city was able to retain one non-voting seat on the port board. Just changed that. (laughs) <laughs> um, that was the result of the 2022 legislative session. And so I've been taking that non-voting seat. Um, I will say this. I, I know that it causes a lot of anxiety for those of us who live in Salt Lake City. Anytime we have to engage with the port or with the state, we are, we are a hyper-minority ideologically in this state. On this board, I have been treated with more respect and have been listened to more than on other boards where I actually have votes. I think the sad truth is that not much of what we talk about anymore is hypothetical. It is really evident that we have no margins on air quality. The Salt Lake is dry. It's no longer a hypothetical thing that's coming. So what I find is that we are actually on the same page so often with these legislators, with these decision makers, because the crisis is so apparent. We have a new um, executive director. His name is Ben Hart. He's been at uh, Go Utah, which I still have a hard time calling it that. It's Go Ed, um, and uh, you know he was extensively vetted by not only I, I made sure I was in every interview for every candidate. We had 96, um, but I also made sure that he got in front of the entire council. He got in front of the mayor. The mayor actually had the opportunity to meet with him twice and really vet him. Um, And he's deeply committed. He understands that our neighborhood can't take any more stress. Our city in general and our neighborhood in particular can't take any more stress. Um, There are kind of wild commitments, Um, unlikely actors looking at things like self-propelled train systems that are being innovated right now by SpaceX um, former engineers who left to start this initiative. So I love that our activistic community keeps the pressure on. Make, Don't let up, right? I, I am, I am really, I'm really, I yeah, I love those people who make sure that we are dotting every i and crossing every t. Um, I would encourage people to look through this lens. I understand the trauma that's carried by this. I, I still twitch every time the words inland and port are put together. However, I would like to encourage us to have a good faith, activistic approach to this. The new board, Miles Hansen is chair, is an unparalleled advantage that we have never had as a city. Why do you say that about Miles? Uh, He centers the humanity in every decision that we make. The economics, of course, flow, but it is about humans. If Our economics come at the cost of our kids' lungs. He will not consider it, and he pushes forward innovative solutions. He is the kind of problem solver who says, "If this is our end goal and these are our barriers, here's how we get there." He doesn't just say, "That's not really a barrier. Go away." He he looks at everything in reality. Um, Similarly, Ben is in a in a similar category. You know, Ben really isn't interested in fighting whether or not PM 2.5 is an issue. We are looking at how do we gather the best data and make sure that we make the best choices. And, you know, we have USU Aspire on board helping us with creative technologies and a- and possibilities. We have the federal infrastructure dollars, which are bringing the possibility for investment so that we can do this in sustainable ways. Um, And we're looking at the quality of jobs. I have no desire for kitsch made in other countries to come here to be shuffled around by people making barely minimum wage so that it can be popped out to another market where it's going to be consumed we're looking at the blue collar jobs that need to be restored here so that people can afford this cost of living biomedical manufacturing that's low water usage low emissions and high sustainability is a big pro- is a big promise to me, and I'm pushing for that, and I'm getting a lot of recep- positive reception from the other board members and the staff around things like that. Well, when you're ready to announce who signed on the dotted line to open one of those, <laughs> you come back, okay? I will. I would love to. I want to bring this back to back to
1: school one more time. Um, you've got kids at Yep Jackson, Mary Jackson yep. Elementary here on the west side. The light is changing. I got up to go walk at the park this morning, and it was in the dark. So mm-hmm. what, is your, what is your call to folks listening about... Um, safety and driving as kids in the capital city
4: are going to be walking to school? Uh, I, I am actually quite terrible in my car and can be thinking about things and find myself doing a speed that I shouldn't be doing. Please, these are kids learning new routes. These are parents learning new patterns. Please be vigilant as we, as we go into the school year please observe that citywide 20 mile per hour. Put a rubber band on your wrist and flick yourself every, every couple minutes to make sure that you're paying attention. Um, we do have crossing guard opportunities. So if you are available and want to make a little bit of extra money, th- those jobs are posted at our city. We would love to take crossing guards anywhere. And to our young people, wear bright colors, look both ways and hold the hand of someone big if you need that.
1: Salt Lake City Councilwoman for District 1, Victoria Petro-Eschler. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the article in the Tribune about trains and the study that's coming up. And the Safe Passage initiative that we spoke about in our conversation may be extended to other schools throughout the year as staffing, funding, and resources allow. And in honor of going back to school, a little something from the White Stripes for you. We're going to be friends. Stick around. Music meets activism. Magnify Utah. Up next... Support for
5: KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and
1: markmillersubaru.com. The Utah Division of Services for People with Disabilities helps people with disabilities live their best, most independent life by providing services, such as employment and independent living in their communities. Learn more at dspd.utah.gov.
0: Hello, children. You know who I am. I know who you are. And we all know who the who are. KRCL's Music Meets Movies is back. Returning on Thursday, September 8th at Broovy Cinema Pub in Salt Lake City, we'll be screening the most often requested film for Music Meets Movies, The Who documentary, The Kids Are Alright. This 1979 film documents The Who through live performances, promotional films, and interviews spanning 1964 to 1978. The film also features the band's last performance with the legendary drummer Keith Moon. The Kids Are all right. Thursday, September 8th at Broobie Cinema Pub in Salt Lake City. One screening only, tickets at 6.30, movie at 7.30, information at krcl.org.
1: What a good one to come back with for Music Meets Movies with Listeners Community Radio of Utah. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive, plugging you into your community. And coming up at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, Red, White & Blues with Brian Kelman at 8, Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 1030 and then A Brand New Day with John Florence at 6am. If you missed any of the shows for the last two weeks, well you can listen on demand thanks to listeners' support. Just go to krcl.org and click on the programming tab. You're going to sort by show title or by date and find any of the last two weeks of shows. Okay, it's time to get back to our Music Meets Activism, which on Mondays mashes up with Magnify Utah, the new digital platform from the Utah Division of Multicultural affairs. Our guide has been Claudia Loiza. Hi Claudia, welcome
7: back. Hello. Thanks for having me again.
1: One of the things I want folks to know is that this is an ever-growing digital platform. How can folks add their stories?
7: So, like you said, it's it's a living breathing platform. So our website is magnify or sorry. Uh, multicultural.utah.gov forward slash magnify and basically um, on that website you'll find opportunities to submit new location spaces that you really feel like affirm and celebrate your culture and background Um, and then we've got also email address there my own personal one that you can connect with um, to collaborate and coordinate on a story map or a piece that really speaks to you and speaks to your story and um, right now, Salt Lake County is kind of in the scope of all the different resources we have on there, but we are going to be expanding into this next year um, for northern and our southern Utah communities. So,
1: Well, let's bring yeah. back Magnify
7: Utah whenever Please. you, you want to talk about something new. Happy in fact, to. you're telling
1: me before we crack the mics here that you're working on kind of a tour of the west side of Salt Lake County yeah. through food. So, <laughs> folks, you got a food story to share in particular. Exactly.
7: I mean, food connects us all, right? I mm. mean, it's a way that we come together. We make connections. We build bridges. So... Um, Story maps, right? All along um, the three categories that we have on the website are people, places, and histories. So um, all of our conversations these past Mondays have been kind of a mix of those categories and themes. So yeah, food is definitely um, on the people and in the, um, I think also histories, right? There's so much that we can learn from the food that we share. Well, check the show notes tonight, folks, because I've
1: got a link to the immigrant story is the Utah story. This is one of the overarching stories right. on Magnify
7: Utah. And there's lots of historical photos and maps. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So we kind of take you on this tour, essentially, of Utah's history with immigrant communities and you'll see particular communities that have been in Utah for over, you know, decades, so many years that I think we um, haven't fully told the stories around Mm -hmm. what it means to come to Utah to create and really make, um, you know, yourself, the inter- like the integral fabric of the Utah story. So when we say the immigrant story is the Utah story, it is quite literally the Utah story.
1: Well, I want to thank you for helping or partnering with Radioactive and KRCL these last couple of weeks. We have tonight with our next guest, yes. and then on Labor Day, we're going to kind of wrap our first installment yep. of the mashup with Magnify Utah with Senator Janie Iwamoto to yeah. talk about Japantown, to talk about internment. And uh, something she's trying to document right now, and that's about an isolation facility out of Mm -hmm. the internment camps, out of Topaz, that happened in Moab. So we're going to be talking about that on Labor Day.
7: But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And I hope everyone gets a chance to learn something new. I really, I think that's the goal here with Magnify Utah, that we introduce you to a history that you haven't quite understood, and that we change, hopefully, your perspective around what Utah is about and the history and the Present in the future that we all live.
1: Well, and again, Magnify Utah, folks, you can contribute your story, your family's truly pioneer story to that of all of Utah and collecting it in this one spot as opposed to it being hidden away in dusty academic tomes (laughs) or the stacks (laughs) at the historical society. We want to make history
7: and storytelling fun. And accessible. And And there's lots of great stuff. So thank
1: you, Claudia. I know you got to scoot out of here. So thank you for coming down. I appreciate it. And now joining me in the studios here in the Guadalupe neighborhood, we have representative Karen Kwan. Hello, how are you?
8: Hello, I am fine. Thank you so much for uh, having me on.
1: I'm so glad that you're here. You were elected to the Utah legislature in 2016, representing the residents of Taylorsville, Murray, Mill Creek and West Valley City boy if that doesn't speak to how we cut up voting districts but you're a longtime resident of Taylor uh, Taylorsville with your family minority Whip yes up at the state house so uh, that's a bit of your origin story but we're here to talk some about the Chinese community so share a little bit about uh, your origin story that we haven't touched upon
8: I, I'd be delighted to do that let me just um uh, make a correction my new new district mm-hmm. um, is 31 and it's yeah. Taylorsville, Thank you. West Valley City, about 50-50 now. Great, so, so they did it better a for yeah. you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that, you know, it's uh, – anyway, I've got definitely my issues with how we cut this state up and for voting districts. So 31, that's when people are voting in November, right? Yes. So, folks, it's still time right. to get registered to vote. Absolutely. Just uh,
8: holla out yep. there. Um, so tell us a bit more but, about Yeah, so um, my origin story in the community really starts when I moved to Utah. uh, I came from the L.A. area, from the valley. And you'd think that because the diversity in Los Angeles, and especially the Asian and the Chinese community there, you'd think that I would be so much more schooled there. But um, being in a large market like that it's like everybody else is going to do it so i grew up where everyone else did it i I grew up where my dad was the one who uh really uh uh, took the uh responsibility for teaching us the um, chinese culture my dad and my mom and and so that was sort of like the older generations uh thing to do and then there were the activists and I always saw those as uh, those uh, people as the the ones that had the time and the energy to do that. And so I, I didn't really have to do it, yeah. you know, and I just sort of you know skated on on the work of other people. I moved to Utah in um the uh, early 1990s. Uh, and it was it was a very different <laughs> place than yeah. actually. Um, and I, so I came into a place that was a culture shock, right, from uh, uh, having a lot of Asian culture and people um, uh, surrounding me to having almost none. Right. Yeah. And but I did come and work for the at the time it was called Asian Association of Utah. Now it's the um, Immigrant Refugee Center. And learned a lot about my culture there. So it's interesting that I, th- I was living it and I was in it, but I didn't know the history. I didn't know uh, the, some of the cultural aspects of why we do things. I just did it. Yeah. Um, and then I also learned about the diversity of the Asian and Pacific Islander community then. And just fell in love with the community in, in a way that just made me um, feel um, like it, it, we were one big family. Right, mm. and so that's the origin story of my ethnic, yeah. <laughs> the work in the ethnic community. Um, I continued on to work from there into the Center for Ethnic Student Affairs at the University of Utah and worked with uh, all uh, uh, ethnic students, um, and and expanded my world of activism and and advocacy. And I just everything I do is. is uh, it based in that advocacy and my love for community.
1: Well, did you feel a responsibility as you start, as you came here, like you said, you experienced culture shock and you started learning about your Chinese heritage in a way you never did um, back in California. Did you start feeling a responsibility given the jobs that you held, not to mention you sat on the governor's Asian American Council? And uh, frankly, you're the first Chinese-American in the Utah legislature, right?
8: Yeah, so that, that all led to where I am. Um, I, I actually ran for office um, because um, I, I was one of those, uh, one of the women, um, we women, we tend to self-select out. We tend to have to be asked seven times to run before we run. And I'm no different from that. I had to be asked several times. Uh, But when I finally uh, thought, maybe I can do this, I'm not sure, uh, I talked to my community, uh, and it was really the Chinese women who said to me, um, you have the opportunity to represent us in a way that no one else has. Not only should you do it, not only can you do it, but you must do it. You must do and it. And, you know, tears streaming down my face. Yeah. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> like fear and anxiety. But I just felt like I had this responsibility to continue my advocacy work at a state level. Yeah. I had no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm still learning, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it is a great part of all of the work that I do.
1: Well, on the Magnify Utah map is the Chinese community, a pattern of growth and tradition. And it says that as of 2020, 23,000 Chinese Americans call Utah home, the vast majority in Salt Lake County. But as we read the whole uh, story that's online, the story of Chinese immigrants is one of struggle, is one of heartache, is one of you know, actively being discriminated against. And it's a history that I think magnify Utah with all of our ethnic communities. We're trying to face that square on. This is what happened, and here we are in polarized times. So when we talk about the potential violence based on the other, it's not a hypothetical, it's not this abstract notion. We have a history that points us to what happens when we do not see everyone as equal.
8: Yeah. Absolutely, and, and there are some um, really clear records of that. For example, in 1890, in, in the United States, we had 103,620 Chinese in the census. Um, then we had the 1892 Chinese Exclusion Act, which um, uh, disallowed any uh, person from Ch- of Chinese origin to become a naturalized citizen. This was
1: after we, you know, had them build the railroad essentially, right?
8: Yes, yes. So, um, uh, the first Asian immigrants to Utah, um, are largely thought to be the Chinese railroad workers of the 1860s. Um, and there's some records that maybe indicate that there were others that came earlier, but that's largely believed to be true. Um, in Utah, in 1890, uh, there was 806, uh, Chinese people in the census. Now, um, At that time, and even today, we believe that uh, uh, we are undercounted, that all ethnic communities um, uh, and and marginalized communities are undercounted. So um, we do think that there was more, but uh, as, as for records, it was in Utah, 806. After 1892, when we look at the 1920 census, um, it, there were, in the United States, there was about half, 53,000 in the United States, and in Utah, 350. Wow. So you could really see that the data show how these, um, these policies can impact communities. And then in addition to that, these, these policies that were very discriminatory, they faced racism, legal battles, physical attacks, massacres, Um, Right here in Utah, uh, sorry, right here in the uh, Rocky Mountain West, uh, in um, Rock Springs, Wyoming, in 1885, there was a massacre uh, that uh, basically they took the Chinatown and they rounded them up and burned everything, um, killed 28 uh, people, uh, caused millions of dollars in damage, um, and uh, after that, Many of these, after the railroads, they became miners. So in 1885, many people in the town were miners, um, and they were uh, fired uh, from mining companies so they wouldn't make (laughs) trouble. Right? Not only in Wyoming, I'm saying everywhere. Yeah. And and that's what happened in Utah in Park City. We had a vibrant Chinatown in Park City um, at that time, but uh, because of the racism and the the violence that were occurring, it, the Chinese were the ones that were villainized by by this. Uh, by 1920s um, in Park City, uh, even though we had we had about 400 um, earlier, and by 1920s we only had three Chinese families. Wow. Yeah, and because they were ba- banned from working um, underground, um, they largely worked in laundries or restaurants, and mm-hmm. so that's what they did. at... at those three families did.
1: Well, and on the Magnify Utah platform, there's the story of I don't know if it's Gim or Jim family. In nineteen twenty nine, um, Chinese born Y Henry Gim would lose his Idaho ranch and restaurant as the nation suffered economic collapse. So he boarded a train that was destined for the nearest settlement with a significant Chinese community at Salt Lake City. And uh, the story is incredible, folks. We'll put a link in it so you can, can go read it. But um, their family is a huge part of the history of the Chinese community.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what is it you want folks to know? I mean, I, there, I, there's, there's your heritage as a member of the Chinese community, then there's your role as a politician, and I think in these polarized times where you know, we're trying to find something, someone to blame for why we don't have it so good. And then I look back at this and how much worse it was. I feel like we've come a long way, but we're dangerously close to slipping.
8: We've seen in the nation, we've seen a lot of uh, anti-Asian violence. Um, and and a lot of that has been um, on uh, Chinese Americans. Uh, we've seen this increase uh, in the last couple of years uh f- over four hundred percent, so mm-hmm. some af- estimates are saying it's over four hundred percent, and Utah's no different. we've seen some increases in anti-asian violence here um, and certainly the sentiment is different uh, mm-hmm. at the time uh, in the 1800s uh, early uh, er- early 20th century, we were seeing politicians um, rally against Chinese right there was it was uh, okay. people it was expected and okay. Uh-huh. and um there's the enemy. Yes. Um that that is not it it's not true. I would say it's overall not true for Utah, yeah. right? That our um leaders were vilifying Chinese. But it certainly we certainly saw that uh, occur in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, but the difference then and now is that uh when we had the um, the violence uh, at the uh, the beauty parlor, mm-hmm. uh, the nail salon in Texas, I'm sorry, in Georgia, <laughs> um, uh, that very day I would I happened to be visiting Topaz, and um, went uh, uh, to our territorial state house um, in Fillmore, and uh, th- the flags were half staffed and when I found out why, that it was because we were honoring and paying our respects as a state to the massacre that her, happened in um, Atlanta, I just bawled, right? Yeah. I just felt like... And you were
1: at Topaz, an internment yeah, camp.
8: Yeah, yeah. That the racism that occurred there at a national level mm-hmm. had been, um, I, I wouldn't say reversed, but that the... Um, that our president today uh, acknowledged the hurt and the pain that our community was going through.
1: Well, hate crimes is part of something you've addressed as a legislator, and you had a bill. We're talking about this before we crack the mics, folks, and I wanted to bring this up since we're talking about discrimination. We're talking about hate crimes Here in 2022, you wanted to have something mandated for all new police cadets as they're going through training. Are you going to try that bill again? And what does it entail?
8: I am going to try it again. Um, We had it it passed unanimously, by the way, in the House. (laughs) And so got got. um, um, Stopped somewhere. I mean, it just got caught up somewhere in the Senate. So I'm going to try it again. And you know that uh, a lot of bills that happens like it goes from one house to the next house, yeah. one chamber to the next chamber, and it gets caught somewhere. And then there's just not enough time. Um, uh, there, there was the um, uh, the No No Hate Act that was uh, the federal act um, that. Um, uh, increases the amount of resources to combat uh, hate crimes, and so what my bill does is uh, it uh, um, had our police cadets uh, be trained. Is um, so it mandated training, or I shouldn't say mandated; it included training for um, our police cadets in what a hate crime is. How do you ask questions that will um, gather information uh, that Uh, Sometimes people don't know what a hate crime is. Like, is this just bullying? Is this just intimidation? Or is this a hate crime? Hate crimes um, in the state of Utah, uh, you have to prove intent. It's very difficult to do. Um, And so if you're not asking the right questions, you may not get the right answers. Uh, People may not automatically uh, give um, information about um, additional information, Mm -hmm. right? So they might say, a rock was thrown through my window. But they may not say, a rock was thrown through my window, and they also yelled a racial epithet Mm. at me. Um, So how do you ask those questions, and how do you report the data? Um, All of that would be in training, uh, in in police training, and then available for any uh, peace officer to access that information. Well, we saw
1: over the weekend what happened at BYU with a volleyball game, the women's volleyball, and duke a player saying that uh, she was tormented with the n-word the entire game and um their athletic director coming out at the next sporting event and saying this is not us and guard our reputation together um which i i felt was great but still this young woman had to endure that in the family state in the beehive state Mm -hmm. so when we talk about um hate crimes, when we talk about that, that attitude, it still happens yep. today, Yes, and um, something that every generation has to earn for itself.
8: Well, and it has that impact still today. Mm-hmm. And when you learn about the history of, um, you know, for me, the history of the Chinese railroad workers, I'm a descendant of them. When you learn about the treatment that they went through, um, it's just heartbreaking, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I I
1: have a song in the background that was created for the 150th anniversary of the Golden Spike. And this is by a choir, Chinese choir. The Chinese choir. It's called Golden Dream. It's in Chinese. I'll put a link in the show notes, folks, so you can go see it. And uh, there's a translation on screen as well. But we had Max Chang on quite a bit in the lead up to the 150th and um, the opera that was commissioned and just the different roles that Chinese workers in particular were subjected to that used them as human runners to explode um, t- to bore holes into the mountain and we have this collected as part of our our state's history now on this magnify Utah project one of the things that I am always been um, sad about is that our Chinatown our Japantown our Greek town etc Or more obliterated for the sake of progress. Do you have anything you'd like folks to understand about Plum Alley, which would be between Regent Street and State Street uh, off of Second South and downtown Salt Lake City if it existed today?
8: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, there were Chinatowns in Ogden, Silver Wreath, uh, Park City, and Corinne. We're finding um, Chinatowns in Terrace. Uh, Utah, and also um, other small tr- um, uh, railroad towns like Kelton, and um, you know we're we're able to now uh, 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 archaeologically excavate and find more information about them. But what we are finding is that uh, the process of both the um, the legal battles, the um, uh, um, uh, the policies, um, and, uh, the pushing out of our Chinese communities, uh, did, in fact, impact the, um, the, the dying of all of these, yeah. <laughs> all of these Chinatowns, where, um, uh, Plum Alley is now is, is a, uh, it's parking lot called plum alley yeah <laughs> yeah so it's it's no longer there mm-hmm. um and it's really sad because it was very vibrant at the time and it, it uh somewhere around 1920s um With I believe, the economic collapse mm-hmm. in the country
1: crippled plum alleys economic output yes. according to magnify utah and some of the data that they have uh, accumulated so tell me about the the strength of the chinese community in utah today like you said, it was the Chinese women in particular who encouraged you
8: to run. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, we have such a diversity within our Chinese community. We have, oh, probably close to 20 different groups, organizations, just in the Chinese community. Um, uh, for example, uh, the uh, Chinese New Year celebrations uh, is a testament to how strong the community is, that the pandemic did not stop us. Um, they continue to put on the, this huge celebration every year. We just do it on uh, virtually now. <laughs> so um, at some point, I'm sure that we will come back together in, in large auditoriums. But this year also, we will be um, on a, a virtual performances and celebrations. So.
1: so what would you say to folks listening who have something to add to the story of the Chinese community in Utah about sharing yes. their story with Magnify Utah?
8: Absolutely. Please share. I mean, this the whole uh, uh, problem with not knowing who has been in Utah and who uh, and, and what the stories is, is because we were not on maps. Our Chinatowns were not on the maps. We were not recorded, often not recorded in uh, uh, work lists uh, we often were not recorded in the census and there's a, a many um or i should say there's few oral histories yeah. right that are recorded um, in our history so this is so important to make sure that our stories are, are being told
1: so folks we'll put in the show notes a link to magnify utah so that you can start adding your story start Start bugging your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, anyone who you know is the keeper of the family lore, which is something I'm guessing you have come to appreciate yourself, Representative Kwan. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And for folks that want to get in touch with you in District 31, Taylorsville and West Valley City, as the uh, next legislative session comes around and have something they want to bend your ear about, how can they get in touch with you?
8: I have a, a website and an email, Karen Kwan for Utah.com and vote Karen at gmail.com.
1: And we'll put a link in the show notes, folks. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time.
8: Thank you very much.
1: All right. And that is our show. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community. We have a little time, so I got a little Stella for you up and away on KRCL 90.9. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. KRCL 90.9 FM HD1 Salt Lake City Ogden Provo 96.7 FM in Park City and on the web at krcl.org
0: another hot Utah summer without air conditioning on road trips thinking about finally upgrading your vehicle but having trouble letting go put your used car or truck to good use and donate it to KRCL no hassles no fees and our vehicle donation partner will even tow it for you You get a tax receipt and your old car gets a new life, powering community radio. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for more details.